in your mind, have you ever rehearsed your quitting speech at work? You've thought about that, like how you, how you would like to quit and go out with a, with a, go out with a bang if you could. Uh, maybe in your mind you have this drama set up where you uh, take over the, the company's uh, PA system so you can recite uh, ten reasons in a poem while your boss is a buffoon and drop the mic and walk out. In your mind, at least. I hope it's just in your mind. And let me tell you, if you, if you need to hear this, that should only be in your mind. And maybe keep that under control as, as well. Uh, but sometimes we do that. Sometimes it's, it's therapeutic or it's uh, some of the frustrations that we are feeling. And if uh, that has been you at some point, this message is especially for you. It's for all of us. Uh, but especially if you are going through a difficult time in the workplace and you are experiencing frustrations there, we're going to see in this passage that God calls us to submit to authority in the workplace. To sum it up, that's the basic thing that uh, we are being called to do in this passage. It's, it's going to be very clear what God is telling us to do. And yes, sometimes this is going to be very hard to do. And there are times when it will involve suffering, where you have not done things that are wrong, and you're being treated poorly, you're being treated unjustly. And this passage acknowledges that reality. This passage also tells us that Jesus knows what it's like to be a servant that is suffering. Jesus knows what it's like to be a suffering servant. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, 18 through 25. The first half of the message will be 18 through 20. And I want to say this about this part of the, the message, this, as it has the command here uh, to submit to authority. But I want to point, draw out this to begin with, that it is a praiseworthy thing to suffer unjustly for the Lord's sake. It is, it is a good thing. It is a praiseworthy thing. It is something that God appreciates, that God honors when we do that, when we suffer unjustly for, for his sake. So, reading here, starting in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Let's stop right here, talk about this section of the Word of God and notice in this section, it's talking, to, it's talking to servants. We saw this idea of last week as far as being subject to the governmental authorities. We're going to see next week that it talks about authority within the, within the household. But here it's authority structures that are, that are at the workplace. And the word here that's for servants is actually a Greek word that is talking specifically about household servants. And yes, in that day, most of the time, those would, have been, those would have been slaves. Now, we could talk about, if this was more the focus of the message here, about all the ways that Roman slavery and biblical slavery was different than American slavery, and it's important to realize uh, some of those things. That even in the, the Roman world, slavery was not based on, on race. 
In the Roman world, there could be times where the slaves were even much more uh, educated and, uh, than, than even the masters sometimes. And also there was the possibility of earning your freedom. There were different ways that it was different than American slavery, but still it wasn't great. Still you were, you were still a, a slave, and the main thing I want to just have us think about for this, think about our context that we have right here, is that if this passage applied back then to household servants that were, were stuck in that position, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, then how much more does it, it, should it obviously apply to us in our situations today? in the workplace to, to us that are in positions, whether you feel like you could easily switch jobs or you're at least there for the time being, or you, you morally ought to be there at least for, until God calls you somewhere else. So I want to apply this to us in the workplace today because I think it's, it still fits with this no matter what your employee situation is. And so this is telling us the, the first message that Christians... God calls you to submit to those in authority over you in the workplace. And that's what this is talking about. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. So that's the first part. That's the the command that God has for us here. We could wish it was said something different to us, but this is what it says. There are different authority structures that God has set up. Sometimes, yes, they get abused, but there are reasons for them, and we are not anti-authority people. We recognize that all authority flows from God. There are good purposes for it, and we are called to live according to those authority structures whenever, whenever possible. So to put it very simply, this means basically you know, do what your, your boss or your supervisor tells you to do, unless, of course, it's sin. For all of these authority situations uh, with the government, in the home, it's different if it's being called a sin. We just need to make that clear up front. But if it isn't, then we need to submit to that if someone is in authority over us. And there could be times that even when you have the, if you have the best boss that there is, and the person is, is uh, there's nothing really wrong with this person, there still will be times where you don't necessarily want to do what you're being called to do. And that's just, that's just how it is. And that might be, have a variety of reasons. Uh, there might be negative reasons, or it might be just you would choose to do it differently. But this passage is telling us to, uh, to submit, to, to cooperate with this. We need to remember as we think about authority in the Bible that being in charge does not make someone better than someone else. In the world's view, they think that, that the, the higher you are in the, the chain of command, that you are actually a better person. You are worth more. You are more, I don't know, valuable in the sight of God or the universe or society. We believe that God has, uh, tells us that he has created all of us in the image of God and that there's equal dignity and value and worth. And there can also be times even in your place of employment where even functionally, someone that is uh, under someone else might be the more capable employee. They might have more talents or abilities, but nonetheless, if that's the structure that we find ourselves in, we need to cooperate with the, the, the chain of command and the chain of authority that we're in. But it's good for us to remember 
that it doesn't mean that you're, you're less of a person. It doesn't mean that you're less valuable than someone that is uh, in a supervisor position over you. Submitting to leadership does not make someone inferior as a person or worth less. This passage talks about respect. So be subject to your masters with all, all respect. You know, the world says that they have to earn your respect first. And that's just the way the world views it. And if they haven't earned my respect, I don't need to give them my respect. But if we look at this passage and what God is telling us through this, then the message for us is different. God is saying to us, we give them respect first. And whether they've earned it yet or not, whether they're ever going to earn it or not, for the Lord's sake, we will give respect. The world says to only respect those who respect you. If they don't respect you, you don't respect them, you fight back. No, God's word says to respect unconditionally. So there's things we can think about. Now, how do you respond to your supervisor? How do you talk to your boss? How do you talk about your boss when that person isn't listening? And if you disagree, is there a way you can do that that is, that is respectful? That this doesn't mean that you can't have a different opinion or different ideas, but you have to be thinking through what is the, what is the good and proper way to, to voice that disagreement and recognizing that there is a, a time and a place and a manner to do that that can be good, maybe. And there also can be many times or places or ways of doing that uh, that would be disrespectful or is just not the time or the place to, to have this happen. So this is the, the main calling, the main imperative or command of this is to show this respect, submit to those in, over us in the workplace. And we are called to do this even when the boss is not the greatest boss in the world. So we are called to show this respect even when those in authority over you are deeply flawed. Your bosses are sinners and human beings. And because of that, for either of those reasons, being a sinner or being a human being, there are going to be times because of that where they can be hard to work for. As sinners... There's things in our hearts, in all of us, and in yours and mine too, uh, where we have these different uh, sinful motives. You know, there are some employers that can be greed, you know, pushing you to do things because they, they care about the, the bottom line too much. For everyone, there could be pride that they care about. How does this affect how it makes them look and, and their position? Insecurity, envy, anger, carelessness. Laziness, hardness of heart. All these things can be going on in, in your, your boss or your supervisor. There also can be just expectations that that person is under. Maybe worldly expectations. Maybe corrupt work cultures or systems that uh, make, make the whole thing dysfunctional. But even if you didn't have those uh, sinful things, just the fact that we're human beings, there's going to be reasons why it's going to make it hard sometimes to submit to the person uh, that you're called to submit to. As human beings, we are limited. And there are limitations as far as what we can do. There's limitations in you know, how much we can uh, be. A, we can't be at more than one place at the same time. We can only handle so many different things. Uh, there's, there's ignorance. And I'm not saying that your, your boss is 
ignorant in a, in a disparaging way, but there's things that, none, that, for all of us, there's things we just don't know. And sometimes your boss doesn't realize they don't know what they're asking of you. They don't know how, how difficult this actually is or why it doesn't make sense at times. And sometimes there's just other things, just a, a lack of comp- competence, some mistakes. You know, your boss is probably still learning or juggling multiple responsibilities, and it's difficult, pressure from others, emotions. And I just say this because there's some here that you're in the, in the worker position, some you're in the, the supervisor position, some you're in both of these, and we want to have some compassion on each other. And no matter where we're at, if you are a supervisor, you want to think through what are the things going on in your heart and what can you do to hopefully make it a better situation for those that are under you. And for all of us, if you're a worker too, we want to consider what is going on in our hearts too. Not just look at the flaws of the other person above you or below you, but realize some of the sins and and things that, that happen in our hearts or our lives as well, either as sinners or just from our limitation as human beings. Now, before we keep going, I want to just uh, give a few clarifications, too, uh, just to make sure we're realizing this. No, you should not submit to your boss if you are asked to sin. We've mentioned this before. I want to make this clear. So, if you're asked to sin, you obey God rather than man. Next, no, this passage does not give permission for those in authority to mistreat or abuse those under their authority. At, at the workplace, you, know, you, might be the, uh, you might have the upstairs office, but one day you will still answer to the man upstairs. And so bosses and employers, they need to realize that too, that they may feel like they are in authority over, you might be in authority over hundreds or thousands of people, but even in this earth, if there is no one that you think is in authority over you, there is one that is, and one that you will answer to as well. So make it your, your goal, make it your, your, your mission to treat those under your authority well, acknowledging that you have uh, the ultimate supervisor above you. No, this passage isn't calling for absolute passivity. It doesn't mean that you must passively take mistreatment when there's something legitimate that you can do about it. And there are are legitimate ways to deal with grievances. There are respectful ways to deal with conflict with your boss, uh, to work through things. And you need to look for the the constructive ways to do that. And if there is serious abuse, then you need to get help. There are times where there is um, sexual abuse or misconduct or, or criminal things. If you need to call the police, call the police. Okay, if you need to file a report with HR, you file a report with HR. And you don't be frivolous about it, but if you really need to get help, get the help. In the first century, many workers didn't have that option, but, but thankfully we do have that option. And you also have the option to, for, for us to, to leave the job if needed. And maybe that might be difficult to do. Maybe that's not something you can do right away, but that is the possibility, too, if that's what is genuinely best. If it comes to that, leave in the right way so that you're, you're leaving in an honorable way. Uh, but this passage does not mean that you're obligated to be at your current workplace forever. You do have the freedom to transition. And in fact, even back then, 1 Corinthians 7.21 Paul told 
slaves that if you can get your freedom, go ahead and do so. He told them to do that. So this passage yeah, tells us, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This means that, that God commends you when you innocently suffer mistreatment because your mind is conscious of God. That God is, is pleased with you. Your supervisor at work, your boss, might not be pleased with you. He might never appreciate you the way that he ought to. might view things wrong. But if you are, are seeking to, to do what is good and right, you're seeking to keep your, your nose clean, you're seeking to be respectful, you're seeking to be innocent through this, and when there's times where you're not, where you're dealing with it the way that you ought to, you're, you're apologizing, you're taking responsibility, this is telling you that, that God is pleased with you, even if you were suffering uh, this mistreatment at work. If you're doing it especially, not because you deserve it or have it coming. I mean, a lot of people you know, have the boss upset with them, and they full well got it coming. But if it's some reason you're, you're trying to be innocent, you're responding out of, in a way that is godly, and you're doing it because your mind is conscious that God is there. And you're wanting to please him. You're wanting to do the right thing by him. And you care more about what he thinks than even what your employer thinks. Or you're submitting to your employer, uh, even though you feel like they haven't earned this, but God tells you to do it. God smiles upon that. He is, he is pleased with that when that happens. You know, there are many ways you might suffer unjustly. Lack of respect from your employer. Unrealistic expectations. Being judged wrong in the eyes of your supervisor. Harsh treatment. Hard or harsh words or comments. Uh, poor pay, poor conditions, being taken advantage of. Your employer doesn't see all the good things that you do. And I list these things just to have you realize that, that God knows these things. God knows these struggles that you might be going through. Maybe you're being slandered or spoken against. Maybe you're just frustrated with uh, the inconsistencies or unclear communication, moving goalposts at work. Maybe you feel like you're being kept on the outside or you're being pushed out. And all these things, our flesh, the sinful part of us, wants to respond in one way. Okay? Our flesh, the sinful remains of our, of our lives, is going to tell us to, to get even. And that's what the world tells you to do. To get even, find a way. If you can take down your boss, if you can destroy your boss, go ahead and do that. It will tell us, our sinful nature tells us to rebel. Just refuse to do what we're told to do. Maybe tell off your boss, you know, go out in a blaze of glory. Maybe even, you know, somehow sabotage the workplace. You know, or at the very least, uh, to be kind of passive-aggressive. And a lot of people choose that route. You know, passive-aggressive where you, uh, you don't want to rebel so much that it looks like you're rebelling. You just kind of hold back a little bit in your effort and what you do. And you, you kind of let things fail. You know, kind of let those around you kind of fail. Uh, but it, you still try to make it look like you're, you're cooperating doing things. That's being passive-aggressive. That's what our flesh tells us to do. You'll be tempted to do that. 
But when you refuse to do those things for God's sake, out of a mind that is conscious of him, you honor God and he is pleased with you. When you show, when you refuse to react in sin against your boss, when you show respect for a boss that hasn't earned it, and when you continue working hard even when everything is frustrating, this passage is telling you that God is pleased with you when you do that. You know, sometimes a Christian conscience will also make life difficult at work just because there are certain things that we're expected to do uh, that go, we know go against God's word and we, we can't do it. And so there might be some unhappiness with us. Your boss wants you to take certain, uh, certain shortcuts or some things that are unethical, wants you to kind of lie or kind of cook the books or something like that. Um, when I was... Uh, in college one summer, I was working at an aluminum foundry in Wisconsin making, making car parts, and third shift for the summer. And I remember one time they had me on um, this machine that uh, I, I don't remember exactly what part I was, was making. It was uh, some car part, but uh, I basically had a big uh, container of, of these parts, and I had to pull them in, put them in this uh, liquid-cooled kind of drill apparatus and press these buttons. They would drill out parts. I'd take them out and switch them out and do this as quickly as possible. And every day the boss would come and say, you know, you're, you're not up to what you need to. You need to be doing this more and faster. And I, I, I'd try as, as fast as I could. And at some point I just realized, I thought, that, well, once I thought to myself, is he just say this no matter, if, if I did twice as much, would he still say this because he's always pushing you to do faster? And after a while, I thought to myself too, okay, I've been doing this for, for a while now, and I honestly don't see how I could be doing this any faster right now. Because the machine takes how long it's going to take to go. I can switch it out only so fast. You know, maybe if I was here uh, for, for the longest time and devoted myself to this, I could shave off like a fraction of a second. But part of this, we were supposed to uh, catalog uh, periodically how many of these parts we did. We did. And the way that they knew how many you did is what you wrote on this uh, the sheet that was there, and you would write this down. And I can't prove this, but I just have to wonder because I realize there's really no way they would know if I just wrote down a higher number. And it kind of got me wondering that everyone else on different shifts was were they just able to just kind of up up the numbers a little bit? But I didn't want to do that because I thought, I, I need to have integrity. I need to say the, the actual number that I put down and not just increase it, even if it seems to me like probably everyone else is doing that. And so, yeah, it looks bad that I'm not able to do this the same way that everyone else is doing it. You know, there's going to be other times, especially in the world today, when you're being tempted to go against God's revealed truth. You know, there's a lot of things, um, especially in the world today, with... Uh, uh, issues with marriage and gender and sexuality and a lot of stuff coming down the, the, the pipe potentially that can make things really difficult. And if and when that happens, you just need to remember that if you are doing your best and showing respect, but at the same time, if you're acknowledging that God is your ultimate authority and he's the one that you have to please, that even if things get rough for you for legitimate reasons because you're obeying God, that God is smiling at you through that. You know, the big principle for this is be respectful and submit when you can so that when you can't, they will know that it's not because you're just insubordinate as a person. 
People in the first century were suspicious of Christians because Christians wouldn't worship Caesar. They wouldn't worship the emperor. And therefore, they thought, these Christians, they just, they're, they're against authority. They won't worship the emperor. However, Christians, we are not anti-authority. We believe that all authority flows from God and that he has set up legitimate authority structures in society. And so we ought to obey whenever we can. And this shows that when there are situations in which we can't obey, that it isn't because we're incorrigible, anti-authoritarian rebels, but it's because the Lord is our authority above all authorities, that Jesus is the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the boss of all bosses. So we work hard, we show respect, we do excellent work, and we try to be a good employee even when our boss is terrible. And in doing this, you may win over your boss, or you may not. In doing this, you may gain favor in your boss's eyes, or you may not. But our first question should not be, well, how can I get a better situation at work? How can I use these biblical principles to make my life better at work? Our first situation should be, our first question should be, how should I live to please God? So this is what we're called to do, but we're also given this example, because this is hard. God knows that it is hard. And so he points us to, as he's calling you to be a servant that suffers, he points you to look at the ultimate suffering servant as your example. And if you know him, if you trust him, and if you keep your eyes on him, it will change all of this. It won't make it easy, but it will make it possible. It will change things. So our first point is that it's a praiseworthy thing to suffer unjustly for the Lord's sake. As we look at the second section, I want to say it is, an even, it is even more praiseworthy that the Lord suffered unjustly for our sake. Let's read verses 21 through 25. And this is continuing this, this thought with this idea of being a, a suffering servant in mind. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And neither was the seed found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but, continuous, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's say a few things about this. In verse 21, we see that Jesus is our example to follow. It specifically tells us that to this, this command, we have been called and be a servant, and this might involve suffering, because Christ also suffered. This is not something that God is calling us to do that he was unwilling to do. He suffered, I don't know how bad it is for you in the workplace, but think of how much Jesus suffered. Would you want to switch places? I tell you, you would not. And not just the physical of what he went through, 
with his rejection, his humiliation, being nailed to the cross for our sin. But on top of all that, invisibly, he is bearing the wrath of God for humanity upon himself. That is what he suffered. That is what he did for us. He suffered, it says, for you. He did for our sake. He did it, Christian, as your substitute. And it says, leaving you an example. So he is the example to follow. And it says that we ought to uh, walk in his footsteps as well. The word for for an example in Greek times was used uh, sometimes when they would teach people to write. They would have letters that they would write and they would trace over. And the same way Jesus left us this pattern that, that we, we copy him, we learn to be like him. It talks about footsteps and following in his footsteps. I remember when we had the snow a few weeks ago, there are times I'd go out the side door and realize, oh, there's a big snowbank. And there, but I realized, okay, there's a bunch of steps here, probably for me, maybe somewhere else. And I realized, okay, if I step in these, I won't get all full of snow. You know, Jesus has had footsteps. When you see footsteps in, in the snow, you know someone has been there before. Jesus is the one that has been there. He's been down this road. He's been in this situation before. And we're to follow and do what he did. He's not calling us to do something that, that he hasn't done. We think of injustice that you might be experiencing at work. Jesus experienced the ultimate and the, the real injustice for us. He suffered in our place. In verses 22 through 24, see that Jesus is the, the suffering servant. He's a suffering servant from Isaiah 53. If you look at these verses, and if you read sometime Isaiah 53, you'll see that Peter here is quoting from this Old Testament prophecy by Isaiah that was written some 700 years or more before this time and reminding us that this is what Jesus was prophesied to have done and this is what Jesus did for us. And that passage is, is referred to uh, as the, the suffering servant passage. That Jesus was the, the first and the ultimate suffering servant. If we are called to be like Christ, we should not be surprised that we are called to be suffering servants as well we look at this passage and we see some of the things that it says and and what this means. It says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So he suffered innocently, and we should seek to do that too. We shouldn't be getting in trouble at work because we got to come in, because we were out of line. And even when Jesus was innocent before and he was innocent after, he didn't sin in retaliation. A lot of times we'll say, well, I didn't sin, but they started it, so yeah, I had this response that was sinful, and therefore it's okay. No, that's not what Jesus did either. It says in verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. You know, it, your, your boss has a, just a stream of terrible things uh, that he says about you. You know, people said terrible things about Jesus, but he did not blast back in kind. We need to learn from that example. When he suffered, he did not threaten, nor should we. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Other times it's what you need to do as well, too. To realize that you can't entrust yourself to your employer. This, uh, you need to follow, you need to honor, you need to respect. But they're not going to 
maybe judge you justly, but there is one that is. There's one that knows the situation, that knows your heart, that knows what is good and right, and you want to live for, for his smile. You want to live for his, the verdict of that judge. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. When he went to the cross for us, he, he not only died for our sake, he died in our place taking the, the sin, the guilt, the condemnation that, that you and I deserve, that we are not innocent. As much as we think we're innocent at work or innocent in life, we're not. We've sinned. We fall short of the glory of God, all of us in every way. And the only way that we can be saved is we can't clean up our life enough. There's no way we could. And even if we could, there's all the sins we've already had. But Jesus came to take care of it by shedding his blood, by going to the cross, being nailed there in our place. That's the one way of salvation. And so we need to entrust ourselves to him. And the purpose of this then, when we, when we do, we're united with Christ and we die with him and we're raised with him. So we die to sin. We're not supposed to uh, continue on in sin. We're supposed to struggle against it, realizing we died with Christ. So we don't want to react in the sinful way that the world would react. We want to live to righteousness because we've been raised to righteousness with Christ. And in verse 25, it says, For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That Jesus is your caring shepherd who's watching over you. It talks about sheep going astray. This is from Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. But it says that we have strayed like sheep, but now returned to the shepherd. Returning. Why do we return? Because he found us. Because the shepherd loved you enough that he came and he looked for you. And what is, what is repentance, really? It's seeing the shepherd and turning and returning with the shepherd shepherd who came to rescue you. And he is your shepherd and your overseer. Realize that your earthly boss is not your God and Savior. He is not the one that you need ultimately his or her smile. You may want it. It might be good. But if you had to choose between the smile of your earthly boss and the smile of your great shepherd and overseer. Which one do you really want? Which one are you living for? Your soul does not depend on what your earthly boss thinks of you. And sometimes we need to remember that. Jesus is your real master. You're your shepherd. The shepherd cares for his sheep. He's not mistreating. He's not taking advantage. He's watching over you, overseeing, protecting you. So come back home with Jesus. Trade your, your slave master or your slave master of sin for a shepherd, a good shepherd who loves you and laid down his life for you. And we can be suffering servants for the Lord's sake because our Lord was a suffering servant for our sake. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this instruction, even though it's hard. And even though there's things we don't want to hear, Lord, and so we trust you, we entrust ourselves to you that you will give us the grace. And God, we ask for that the help that we need to do what you call us to do even when it's really, really hard. And Lord, we thank you 
that Jesus Christ is our example and our, our pattern, that he has walked down this road. You are not calling us to do something that you did not do, but we acknowledge that you were the ultimate suffering servant for us. And if it was not for that, there would be no salvation for us. We are sinners, Lord God, but you shed your blood on the cross in our place as our substitute to take away our sin. We trust you. We trust you alone. And we look to you and treasure you as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. In his name we pray. Amen.